0: Welcome to Tax Notes Talk, a podcast from Tax Notes, the leading source of tax news, information, and analysis.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm David Stewart, editor in chief of Worldwide Tax Daily. This week, what to do about peer to peer car rentals. Just as the short term room rental business, pioneered by Airbnb, created headaches for tax administrators and policymakers, a similar car rental business now springing up offers fresh challenges. In both cases, The companies involved provide a platform for matching the owners of a home or a car with individuals looking to rent. The company then facilitates payments and provides for insurance. Where Airbnb broke the existing models of local hotel taxation, peer-to-peer car rentals threaten to disrupt the tax rules set up around large companies renting out their own fleets. In both cases, these disruptors argue that they should not be subject to the same tax rules as their legacy competitors. Here to help us sort through the various issues this raises is State Tax Today reporter Andrew Briner. Andrew, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks, Dave. There are a number of big questions wrapped up in this. Where should we start? A basic question when thinking about taxation of a peer-to-peer model is, what is the transaction that's potentially being taxed? Jim Nason, tax partner, multi-state tax services at Deloitte Tax, laid out his thought process on that question. I spoke to him by phone.
0: So the first question from a tax perspective is, okay, what what is the transaction? What are we getting at? Do we look through the fact that there's a facilitator involved and go right to the core of it? And is that facilitator in in fact providing whatever that end service is when they're merely sitting at the end of the transaction connecting uh, willing buyers with willing sellers? Does that all of a sudden put them in that business or do you push it down to the peer who has in this example the vehicle who loans leases rents whatever that transaction is to another person and is that where the transaction occurs and then you know where does kind of the tax roll in so what is the transaction and then I think from there the discussion is is in the jurisdiction is that transaction
1: taxable. What are the arguments being made about the
2: taxability of peer-to-peer car sharing? Well, first, there are the peer-to-peer companies themselves. Unsurprisingly, they aren't interested in being taxed. One of the arguments used by Turo, the largest of the peer-to-peer car sharing companies, is that the rental car tax levied by most states is supposed to stand in lieu of sales tax, which car rental companies don't pay on the fleets of vehicles that they buy exclusively for rental. They argue vehicle owners already paid sales tax when they purchased their personal vehicles, so collecting a tax on the rental transaction would amount to an unfair double tax. I spoke with Lauren Ferrante of McDermott, Will, and Emery by phone to get her take on this argument.
3: I think they have some legitimate concerns. Uh, first and foremost, I think the pyramiding of tax is a concern. Um, when we're talking about a, you know taxing a, a car rental, transaction by an individual car owner, presumably that car owner has paid tax on the sale of that vehicle. Now, yes, you're talking about a rental transaction versus a sale transaction. Um, but nonetheless, states and localities imposing such a tax should consider some kind of credit mechanism um, in the way of that.
2: Ronald Morlock, a partner at Scopolitis, Garvin, Light, Hansen, and Fury, was more skeptical about the double taxation argument.
4: Uh, I think it's a fairly weak argument because typically, I think what they're saying is, hey, we we should be entitled to some type of relief because we're buying the car for the purpose of rental, and you know, a rental company, for example, would have access to an exemption like that because they're going to put their vehicle into a rental fleet and that's going to be exclusively used for that rental activity until the company decides to dispose of the vehicle. I would presume that most folks that buy a vehicle that uh, share it from time to time are actually going to use their vehicle for their own personal use. So it's not really dedicated exclusively to the rental activity.
2: Morlock also raised the possibility that Turo could argue that, as a provider of the platform for rental, rather than the owner of vehicles for rent, it is not engaged in a taxable activity.
4: One argument, and I think this is what Turo is trying to say, is, "Hey, we're not performing a taxable service in your state. In fact, we're any service that we performs in San Francisco, where we have our computers or software or whatever we use to match up between a customer and a, one of our passenger car owners who's willing to, to make the car available. But the reality, I think, is that states are going to look at that as, okay, you're in California, right? But here I am. I'll just use Indiana as an example because that's where I'm located. We have a car owner here in Indianapolis that is now renting a car or car sharing to another Indianapolis resident for a day and the, the cost is fifty dollars. Well, if Hertz performs that the same economic transaction here, there's gonna be a tax collected and remitted to the state. Whereas you know, if Turo's argument is accurate that they don't perform a taxable service, then okay, so they're off the hook. And I don't think, think it's so much a wayfair nexus argument. I think the state of Indiana would then look at the passenger car owner here and just say, okay, you're now engaged in this uh, car sharing business, and they'd have to look under Indiana statute to see whether or not that reaches a level of a a taxable transaction.
2: Who's making the case in favor of taxing peer-to-peer car rentals? Traditional car rental companies are a major advocate for taxation. The American Car Rental Association, or ACRA, a trade organization that includes most major rental companies like Enterprise, Hertz, and Avis, argues that there should be no distinction between peer-to-peer business models and traditional car rental. Whether the rental is from an individual and takes place on an app, or whether it's from a large company and takes place in a storefront, it should be taxed and regulated identically, according to ACRA. Morlock echoed that assessment.
4: But I think the reality is, at the end of the day, what's going on is there's a uh, somebody has a car available. And if they are getting paid a fee from somebody to allow them to use that car under under almost any definition I've ever seen, that would be treated as a a rental transaction. And rental transactions are typically subject to sales tax unless there's uh, an exemption. In a variety of states as well, there's rental type taxes that could apply. And rental type taxes may be in addition to sales tax, or they may be separate from sales tax, and can apply at different rates depending on the term of the agreement. So. I think the uh, peer-to-peer companies are are facing a real uphill battle in terms of trying to avoid having taxes applied to these types of transactions.
2: How are state legislatures uh, addressing this? There have been a number of responses. In a recently enacted law, Maryland chose to tax peer-to-peer rentals, but at a separate rate from traditional car rental. The sales and use tax on traditional car rentals is 11.5%, and peer-to-peer rentals will be taxed at 8%. The peer-to-peer tax will sunset at the end of June 2020, and the bill instructs the state government to study the issue and determine a fair and equitable tax rate for peer-to-peer by the end of 2019. Illinois lawmakers, meanwhile, passed a bill saying that peer-to-peer car sharing is car rental and is subject to the same taxes and regulations as any other car rentals. Governor Bruce Rauner vetoed the bill. One possible scenario would be for the peer-to-peer industry to follow the precedent set by Airbnb, which began voluntarily collecting and remitting taxes once it became clear that states and localities were set on taxing them. Nason laid out one way this could happen.
0: Could you further move out and create a change in the environment? whereby the jurisdictions dig their heels in and saying, we're coming after individuals that operate in this sharing economy. And people become nervous to get involved in it because they fear that the tax man cometh. And so it slows down the number of vehicles in play for these online vendors. And so that kind of forces the online vendor to say, hey, tell you what, we will help you with this, likely for an additional fee. We will help you with this and we will charge your taxes for you. And we will send you the taxes and your less commission, your fees that you've earned and you can file the tax return or not only will we collect the taxes, but we will collect and remit those taxes on your behalf in your name as a tax filing service.
2: How is the peer-to-peer industry responding to these moves? There's only limited evidence so far, but it seems Turo is accepting, at least to some degree, that taxation is coming. The company's spokesperson said they will collect and remit Maryland's peer-to-peer tax once the state's law goes into effect. However, it seems like they're more resistant to being treated identically to traditional car rental. Now, in an earlier clip, Morlock brought up the Wayfair
1: decision, which raises the question of nexus. Uh, How is that expected to affect peer-to-peer car sharing?
2: For the peer-to-peer industry, Nexus could end up being a pretty important issue. Toro is headquartered in California, and while it has offices in a few other locations, there are likely many states where it has no physical presence. Lauren Ferrante said that while she thought peer-to-peer companies could have made a Nexus argument to avoid taxation before Wayfair, after the decision, it doesn't look likely to succeed.
3: When you're talking about tax obligations on the corporate entity, I see this sort of negatively affecting any defenses they would raise with respect to Nexus. Um, now, of course, a lot of states are enacting new Wayfair rules, having a, you know sales thresholds um, and dollar thresholds. So maybe that'll help these car companies. But in larger states like Illinois, New York, California, maybe these corporate entities have a weaker argument under Nexus.
2: Nathan said that while peer-to-peer companies could make the argument that they're facilitators or marketplaces rather than traditional rental car companies. State legislation combined with the Wayfair ruling could make that harder.
0: Back to Wayfair, arguably, if you didn't have nexus, they couldn't impose those requirements to collect and remit. But Wayfair lowering that standard could potentially bring them in. If you, you put in those standards, if you have legislated those standards where you can bring a marketplace, a cause a marketplace to collect and remit your taxes uh, for, again, arguably a taxable transaction, then I think that that would be how you would get over that hurdle and try and get to the taxes. I mean, the question really becomes, you know, who's going to collect the tax and how is it going to happen? What does the future of
2: taxation look like for this industry? For one thing, it's likely that more state legislatures are going to move forward with legislation to tax it. New Hampshire lawmakers recently introduced legislation that would have classified peer-to-peer as car rental and taxed it accordingly, but they put it on hold to wait for a decision in Wayfair. Now that Wayfair has been decided, they'll likely give it another try. California and Idaho have also considered peer-to-peer taxation bills, and though they haven't passed, the topic is clearly on the minds of legislators.
1: Well, this will be an issue to keep an eye on. Uh, Andrew, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And now, coming attractions. Each week we preview commentary that will be appearing in the next issue of the Tax Notes magazines. We're joined by Executive Editor
5: for Commentary Jasper Smith. Jasper, what will you have for us? In Tax Notes... Jay Soled and Kathleen Delaney Thomas argue that Congress should modernize the Internal Revenue Code so that it taxes business profits, investment income, and capital gains more than it taxes labor income. Also, Brett Bissonette examines whether meals associated with business meetings remain deductible after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. In state tax notes, Walter Hellerstein and Andrew Appleby Examine the Wayfair case through the lens of substantive and enforcement jurisdiction and focus on the question of whether there is a constitutionally required relationship between the nexus of the person that the state seeks to enlist as the tax collector and the underlying activity that the state is taxing. Further, authors from COST examine the state taxation of global intangible low-taxed income. And in Tax Notes International, Reuven Aviona and Brett Wells make the case that base erosion and anti-abuse tax does not violate U.S. tax treaties and argue that it is a treaty override. And Paul Nyland considers how the participation exemption under the Internal Revenue Code Section 245 could alter tax planning in ways not seen since the implementation of the subpart F regime in the 1960s.
1: You can read all that and a lot more in the October 22nd editions of Tax Notes, State Tax Notes, and Tax Notes International. That's it for this week. You can follow me on Twitter at taxstew, that's S-T-E-W. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for a future episode, you can email us at podcast at taxanalyst.org. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play to make sure you get the next episode of Tax Notes Talk.